Uh, So John 13, verses 1 to 30. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the power that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, "'You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand.' "'No,' said Peter, "'you shall never wash my feet.' Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash you, you have no part with me.' "'Then, Lord,' said Simon Peter, "'not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well.' Jesus answered, "'Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet.' Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why, he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen." But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, whatever you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Okay, Uh, it'll be a great help to have that uh, 
passage open as we work our way through it tonight. Uh, To start with, I want you to do a thought experiment uh, uh, with me. Uh, Imagine tomorrow morning, first thing, you're you're heading overseas, borders are open, uh, you're going overseas, and tonight, as we share dinner later, it's the last meal that you're going to share with your friends here in Australia. Now, this is the part where you need to use your imagination, um, because you have to imagine there's no way that you can then make contact with anyone. So this is your last chance, the last thing that you can say. What do you want to say to your friends? What would you say to your friends? As a last, final farewell. Um, I forgot my clicker, but I'm going to make Rachel work through the night. Um, Next slide. Uh, This guy, this is a guy called Nick Magnotti. Uh, This is him with his daughter, Austin, just before he died from a rare form of appendix cancer. And this is a screenshot of the video that he made for her. You can still uh, go and watch it on YouTube. He knew he was dying, and so he had time to sit down and to think through all the things that he wanted to tell her before he left. He wanted to tell her what was most important to him the most important stuff, uh, to leave with her uh, for her life after he'd gone. Thanks, Rachel. What would you say? Uh, What is bedrock to you? What, when you dig down, what is the most important thing that you'd want to leave with family and friends? John chapters 13 to 17 is Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. It's his goodbye speech. Uh, the scene is an evening meal together just before the Passover. Uh, you see it there in verse 1. Uh, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he's leaving. And these chapters have this gravity, this weight pressing down on them. Jesus' departure is looming. And so he wants to leave his disciples with the most important things for them to know after he's gone. So what is it? What is the most important stuff he wants to leave? Well, uh, verse 1, look there again. We're told it is his love. Having loved his own... I've got issues, don't I? I'm back. All right. We'll press on. Uh, Verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, he wants them to understand his love for them, to grasp the size of it, its quality. He loves them to the fullest extent, to the end. And two things that he wants... Uh, them to see. He wants to leave them with an expression of his love and an example of his love. An expression of his love and an example of his love. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, So firstly, Jesus' expression of love. Now, how do you express that you love someone, right? Um, When people get married here at Uni Church, uh, if I'm preparing the wedding sermon, 
I normally ask them in advance, what's the most romantic thing that the other one has ever done for you? And over the years, there's been a range of responses. Um, I thought I'd share a few with, with you. Um, you can guess which of the apprentices they belong to. Um, uh, here's one. He spent months writing and practicing a song to propose to me and then recorded it on a CD. Gents, that's, that's how it's done. Uh, this one. Uh, the time when she came with me to visit my sick granddad in Sydney. Uh, another one. When she paid for half our four-wheel drive. <laughs> classic, classic form of romance, uh, that one. And this response. And, well, uh, I love that he tries. <laughs> Which I thought was good. Jesus isn't uh, trying anything romantic here, but he does want to express his love. So what does he do? What thing does he do? How does he express it? Uh, have a look with me, verse 3. Let's read. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Right, so he knows all this. He knows that God has given him all power. He knows the glorious position that he has. So what does he do? So, knowing all that, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice how John, as he writes this, he slows everything down. He, he names every detail. He gets up from the table. He takes off his cloak. He picks up a towel. He ties it around himself. He pours the water into the bowl. Every little element gets named. And it's, it's like you can see this scene unfolding and the disciples, their jaw is dropping. They're like, he's not going, he, surely he won't. He's not doing it, is he? Imagine the queen at a dinner party, right? Uh, she gets up, takes off her crown, pulls off the white gloves, gets the water, pours it into a bucket, gets the apron, that's what's going on here. It is that incredible. He washes their feet. It's absolutely unheard of. It's incredible for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's gross, right? Feet are gross. That is a truth that just spans the ages. Feet are disgusting. But imagine feet in the ancient world in the, with, you know, no pavement, animals in the street. It's actually disgusting. It was demeaning it was a job for the lowest of the low. Uh, some people thought that Jewish slaves should be excused from doing it. You make Gentile slaves do it, but Jewish slaves, they should uh, not have to do it because it's too demeaning for them. Like having like, a line in your work contract, you know, must not be made to, to clean toilets or something. It was, it was that demeaning. And it just wasn't done. Uh, the first century was a world based on honour and shame. You chased honour. 
You, you, you went for it. You, you had to be with the right people and do the right things. And that meant taking the seats of honour and, and being the head of the table. But Jesus willingly gets up, moves away from his place at the head, takes off his outer clothing, gives up the honour that is his, takes on the appearance of a slave with a towel around his waist and he washes their feet as an expression of his love. A, a totally outrageous thing to do in that culture. And you can tell it's outrageous because of Peter's reaction in verse 6. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He cannot believe it. He, verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. It's, it's too demeaning. He can't even stomach it. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's like a story that my mum tells about one of her friends. Um, her friend um, hired a cleaner uh, to come clean her house, but she was kind of embarrassed about th- that fact. And so before the cleaner came over each week, she would go around and vacuum and, and tidy up and you know, do the dishes, everything. The cleaner would arrive at a spotless house. Um, she felt really good about it that but um i'm sure the cleaner felt good as well peter has that feeling it's like no no it's, it's too embarrassing but look at how jesus responds verse 8 he says unless i wash you you have no part with me seems a very strange thing to say doesn't it We've kind of gone from this awkward dinner party interaction to talking about something much much deeper much bigger Receiving this foot washing is somehow connected to belonging to Jesus. Peter must receive this love from Jesus. And so, uh, classic Peter, he's like, all right, give me everything. Give me head, feet, everything. Oh, I want the whole lot. He doesn't quite get it. I, I wonder if we maybe don't get it either. Uh, what is Jesus talking about here? He's obviously talking about something uh, more than just physical dirt and grime, but what does he mean? Uh, Have a look at verse 10. He goes on and he says, uh, Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. So it seems like somehow they're already clean, but they also need their feet washed. What's going on here? Uh, Well, when you went to dinner in the ancient world, uh, you, you washed yourself before you left your house, um, so before you arrived. But when you arrive, obviously, uh, it's just your feet that are dirty, and so uh, you would wash your feet. And so Jesus is kind of using that analogy. He says, no, you're already clean, you disciples. And so I think when we read that, we think, oh, maybe Jesus is talking about forgiveness. He's going to wash them clean from their sins on the cross. Uh, that's the, the, the bath, that's the, the cleanness that he's talking about. That's why their whole body is clean. Except I don't think that's it. Uh, because it's kind of, it's already happened. You are clean. So what's going on? Well, uh, this is, we're going to do one short flick. Flick over a page or two uh, to John 15 verse 3. Because it comes up again. Uh, this is the same night, the same farewell speech. Uh, and this is what he says to them in in verse 3 he says you are already clean because of the word i have spoken to you he comes back to this this idea of cleanness and he says yeah you're already clean because of the word i have spoken to you 
See, they're clean because they've believed Jesus' word about himself. Judas hasn't. He's gone off. But uh, Peter and the others have. They've believed the word that he's come from the Father, that he is who he says he is. And so cleanness here stands for belonging to Jesus. They're already his disciples. They're washed. But now they must get this one thing. They have to get the feet thing. They must receive this expression of love because if they don't receive this from Jesus, then they can have no part with him. They can't go forward as his disciples. And that's because this foot washing isn't just an expression of Jesus' love. It's also an example of his love. It is an example for them to follow. That's our next point, an example. Let's read from verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, uh, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Here it is. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It isn't just an expression of his love, although it is that. It's an example. He wants them to copy him. It's a, he's a model. He's leaving them a pattern for them to follow. Uh, so one question comes up. Does he mean that literally? Should we all go out, you know, we've set up a few buckets and everything out there for foot washing later. Is that what we're going to do? Do we need to grab basins and start washing feet? Well, I want to say yes and no. I want to say yes because Jesus means real physical service. He's not talking hypothetically here. He wants his people to love each other in the mess of life. It's not a metaphor. It's an example, something to copy. So yes, Serve like that. But also, no, uh, foot washing is not a really big need in our culture. And so we need to think of uh, something else, other things that fall into this category of, of humble service, expressing love for each other in humble ways. So I think something like caring for the elderly is something that's equivalent to foot washing for our culture. It's not glamorous, Uh, it's messy, there's changing people, showering, feeding, it's looked down on, you know, to be a carer of someone isn't like a high honour in our society, or to love people who are struggling with mental illness. It's often not personally rewarding, it can be draining, and it can mean giving up personal status and social status. So foot washing is the example. But we need to think about how else that might be expressed in the world around us. Because Jesus leaves it as an example for us to follow. But the example is also in who does it. In who does it. See that? It's the greater serving the lesser. It is upside down service. That's what Jesus points out there in verse 14. Have a look with me. He says, Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. 
you should also wash one another's feet. See, rightfully, uh, Jesus should be served by his disciples. To be a disciple uh, meant that you served your rabbi. You know, they called him Lord. He's the master. And that's just the nature of the relationship. Um, Rabbis, um, even though that's the nature of their relationship, rabbis weren't even allowed to ask their disciples to wash their feet because of uh, how low of an act it was. And yet Jesus turns that upside down. He does something that even a disciple would never do. Even though he's the master, he washes their feet. He is the greater one and yet he serves the lesser in the lowest possible way. Uh, I once walked into a church and the senior minister of that church was on his hands and knees cleaning out the fridge. Now, communal fridges, uh, they are the worst, are they not? You know, someone, you know, has some leftover guacamole and they think, oh, someone might like this, I'll just put it in the fridge and then they walk away and then someone else comes along and they're not going to eat some weird green thing, right? That someone's just left there. Um, but they're not going to throw it out either, it's not theirs, and so it just sits there, and a week later it's a science experiment just going on there in the fridge. And there he was, the next Archbishop of Sydney, digging out mouldy old fruit to serve the church. That's it, Right? That is the principle that Jesus is talking about. Upside down service. The greater serving the lesser. A willingness to lower yourself and serve in the kind of dirty, even demeaning ways. That is the example of love that Jesus leaves for his disciples. Is that how you think about what love looks like? Do you have romantic visions of love? Or do you think that love looks like washing someone's feet? So how can we pull this together? Well, I want to point out a couple of things. Uh, We can see that Christian service is both responsive and reflective. Christian service, Christian love, is both responsive and reflective. It's responsive because we first receive the upside-down service and love from our Lord and Master. We don't generate that love. It comes from Him first. We receive love from our Lord and we respond by giving love to our Lord and then showing it to others around us. Christian love is responsive. It responds to the love that he's shown us. And it's reflective. That is, it's reflective because it looks like him. When we are uh, doing things like Jesus, then that is the kind of love we're called to. We follow his example. And so we have to ask the question, do we do that? Is that true of us in our lives? Now, I'd say we've probably seen, we've probably seen enough tonight for us to be on board with that and think, yeah that is amazing i want to i want to love like that next time i see an opportunity to love someone like that i'm definitely going to take it 
We're probably ready to be reactive. But what, what would it look like to be proactive, to seek out places to love like this? See, where does our time go in a week? How much time goes into loving people like that? Is there a way that you could reorganize your week, change your priorities to make this a a part of what your life is like, to serve and show love to those in the lowest position? We can say yes to Jesus' example in principle, but then in practice, uh, fill up our time with so much entertainment and study and and work, and career advancement, and just all the things that go into life that we leave no space for loving people like this. But when Jesus wants to leave his disciples with the most important thing, this is what he does on his last night. He washes their feet, and he says that we will be blessed if we do the same. Well, we're almost finished, uh, but there's one more thread that we haven't pulled from this chapter, and uh, I'll give you a hint, it's the black one. Uh, John 13's got uh, all this uplifting stuff about love, and yet there is this darkness going through it. Uh, Jesus' betrayal is right there from verse 2. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Uh, and again, uh, you see there from verse 18, after the foot wa- washing, uh, we kind of zoom in and the scene slow- slows down again. Jesus predicts his betrayal, but the disciples don't know who he means. And so uh, John nudges Peter and he says, ask him, ask him who it is. And, and Peter leans back against Jesus and he says, who is it? And Jesus says, look, I'll dip the bread and then I'll give it to the person. And then he dips the bread and he gives it to Judas. And the whole scene takes so long to go through. It's slow and deliberate. And Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He's the one directing things. And yet the whole scene has this this evil, dark feel to it. John tells us that Satan entered into him. And then verse 30, Judas went out and it was night. Now, why is all that important? Well, uh, let me ask you a question. When does Judas leave? He doesn't leave before the foot washing. He leaves after the foot washing. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what Judas is going to do. He even tells him to do it quickly. And yet before that, he washes his feet. The same feet that will then go out into the night to betray him. And that is the expression of Jesus' love. That he loves his enemies. That he loves his enemies. I think this is where the chapter points forward to Jesus' death. Here in this dark section, that Jesus' love extends to sinners, to those who are his enemies, set against him. 
that his love would extend even to Judas, if only he would believe the words spoken to him. Uh, This meal takes place at the Passover, the Jewish festival where the, the sinless lamb dies to take God's anger at sin. And Jesus' love does that. He goes that far, gives his life for those who are God's enemies. And so that's the question for us. And more than just analysing the love that we show to one another, we need to ask the question, have we received that expression of Jesus' love? Do you know that he loves you? That he loves you like that? Despite what you've done, no matter if you have been an enemy of God, set against him, going your own way, he loves you. He shows that kind of love, not just to the good disciples, the ones who perform, which is actually none of them, right? But he shows that to Judas. And that was actually the most important thing uh, for our guy at the start, Nick Magnotti. Uh, The reason he left a video for his daughter was because he wanted to leave her with the most important thing, the thing that was most precious to him. And so at the end of the video, he says, I want her to know that her daddy loved the Lord. He had received love from the Lord. And so in response, he loved the Lord in return.